Now broadcasting from his hidden bunker and fully stocked bar, it is the Saturday Report with Hope Sebastian Taylor. Thank you and welcome once again, my friends, to the Saturday Report with me, Colt Sebastian Taylor, adventurer, entrepreneur, and amateur Discord server manager. And welcome to AWSM Radio, an independent digital-only radio station that plays today's best music, old school classics, along with a rotating cast of all-star DJs. AWSM Radio focuses on mainstream artists. Independent artists, along with a variety of interesting talk and music shows throughout the day, such as my own here this early Saturday, well, late Saturday morning. All we do is entertain, inspire, and inform. And my friends, I want you to be part of the conversation, so I want to hear from you. Find me on the Twitter, on the Instagram, on the Rizzle sometimes, but especially on Cameo and Anchor.fm at Colt S. Taylor. Anchor.fm slash Colt S. Taylor is where you can subscribe and get the podcast version of this show every week. And of course, of course, check ColtSebastianTaylor.com for all of my other adventures, including a very delightful Dungeons and Dragons podcast that I participate in. All right, folks, let's get started with this week's Saturday Report. First up this week, uh, depending on where you live in the United States, my friends, this date may have already passed. I'm only reminded this week because uh, here in the great Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, this coming Tuesday is primary day. Uh, very important. You actually, there is an actually an election every year. There's two every year, people. Not every four years. Actually, an election every year, and primaries are very important. They help uh, pick what, who is going to be on the ballot in November. It is a good time for your voice to be heard. Uh, primaries are historically low participation elections. Uh, so let me let me let me just put it in this way. Um, let's say you live with ten people and you're deciding on dinner, but that decision is made at like you know ten a.m. If only two or three people show up, those two or three people are going to be the ones that make the list of things to choose from for dinner later. Even though if like seven or eight other people don't like those lists, those are the two people that showed up at the early meeting to make those decisions. So a primary, friends, is how you can help influence uh, your selections later in November. And whatnot. So, uh, this Tuesday is the Pennsylvania uh, primary. Uh, I will be working the polls, not in an erotic way. Calm down, you dirty-minded people. But uh, I help people vote. I'm very big on election process. Well, I mean, if you remember from last week, process is is um, pretty pretty important. The process help people uh, uh, vote. Out where I live, it's not a hotbed of political activity. There really is nothing interesting that goes on. Where I am, but uh, it's a fun day. It's a fun day. I mean, get to see all my neighbors. It's a long day. It's like a 12-hour day. And then I run results to the courthouse and do my part to protect democracy. Uh, also, it's why I am have little patience for folks saying that the voting process in Pennsylvania was a fraud because they have no idea what they're talking about. What not. 
Although overall, once again, uh, I, I still, despite my participation in said democracy, uh, I do not like the way we elect people overall. Uh, Maine and Alaska have ranked choice voting. I highly recommend that all states take a look at that. But the best election system that I have studied in my free time, because, you know, I'm a nerd, uh, is Ireland. Ireland is still the best uh, overall election system. Uh, each electoral district sends like five to six people. So instead of one person with the largest mob, it's the, peop- it's the people with the five largest mobs uh whatnot. So, but anyways, that'll never happen here because... The two-party system is entirely too ingrained in the power structure of society. But if you have a primary coming up, and they're all coming up real soon, be sure to vote, be sure to participate, and of course vote in November. Uh, Every election is important. Every year, sometimes the ones on the odd years have more impact on your day-to-day life than uh, ones on the even years. So just a little, little PSA for you. Little, little, P, little, little, little PSA for you there, friends. Moving along with a story I talked about last week. Elon Musk, real-life Bond villain, and also the owner of Tesla and, I think, SpaceX? I don't do billionaires in their space stuff. Uh, said that, uh, as, as you may know, he is buying Twitter. He is buying all of Twitter. He's buying Twitter for $44 billion, with a B, billion dollars. Uh, obviously, those on the right are ecstatic because he said he would give Donald Trump his Twitter account back. Although Donald Trump says he's not going back to Twitter. He's staying with his even better uh, social media channel called Truth Social. Um, but everyone is very happy about this because Elon Musk is going to to make sure conservatives are not censored on Twitter. Not censored. Uh, which to them is when no one wants to hear them, uh, their BS, they, uh, they make sure they just kind of mute them out. And the algorithm says, oh, this guy's not very popular with anyone. Let's mute, let's, let's dial him down a bit. So that's, that's what happens. But anyways, he's buying Twitter. Well, he should be buying Twitter. He is putting a hold on his deal to buy Twitter. Uh, to quote him, Twitter deal temporarily on hold pending details supporting calculation that fake slash spam accounts do indeed represent less than 5% of users. So he's buying Twitter, and according to Twitter's internal numbers, uh, there are some fake accounts on there, some spam accounts, but they represent less than 5% of their total users. But the study they used to come up with that number isn't exactly scientific. There could actually be a whole lot more. And some people feel like there are a whole lot more. Uh, They occasionally purge uh, these fake accounts from time to time. And again, when that happens, there are some people on there that cry censorship because their followers decrease by 10 or 20,000. But it turns out a lot of those people are followed by fake accounts. So... um, so they so Elon Musk wants a more detailed study into the fake slash spam accounts on Twitter. Uh, according to the quarterly financial report of Twitter, which was uh, released uh, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, April 28th, 
said that Twitter estimated that fake or spam accounts made up fewer than 5% of the platform's active users during the first three months of the year. Twitter noted that estimates were based on a review of sample accounts and believed the numbers to be reasonable. Reasonable. So, so, uh, Elon Musk wants to wait. He wants to wait. Uh, <laughs> and this happened on Friday the 13th, this whole pause. And uh, he, according to uh, one analyst, uh, Dan Ives of Webbush Securities, uh, Musk has turned, quote, this Twitter circus show into a Friday the 13th horror show. Um, if the deal does not go through, um, Elon Musk would have to pay Twitter one billion dollars to back out of the deal. Uh, so according to Ives, who is a, uh, analyst, who is an analyst, um, 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 uh, he feels that, quote, the street will view this as the deal, one, likely falling, uh, falling apart, two, Musk negotiating for a lower deal price, or three, Musk simply walking away from the deal in a $1 billion breakup fee. Many will view this as Musk using Twitter uh, uh, filing slash spam accounts as a way to get out of the deal in a vastly changing market. Uh, Because, because, uh, since he agreed to this deal three weeks ago, Twitter stock has uh, gone down quite a bit. Quite a bit. The $44 billion he wanted to buy it for, um, it's now really overpaying for the price of the um, of the stock. And uh, he's already made an agreement, so that's the agreement. So he's, they may think he's trying to lower his bid. And if Twitter says, nope, this was the we agreed on, he'll back out and still have to pay them a billion, a billion dollars. Now, he has, he has, said he's still committed to the deal. So, you know, Twitter saw it drop 20% when this happened on Friday. It's back up. Uh, Musk is going to pay $54.20 a share. Okay? That's how much, that much is how he wants to pay for the share. And Twitter has never, never po- approached that price, ever. It's never been worth that much. And it has been around uh, fifty dollars for the last few weeks, but uh, right now uh, it has gone down to about forty dollars. So his lo- it has lost about twenty percent of its value. Now, who said that if Elon Musk would to buy this Twitter and say he would bring Twitter bring Donald Trump back and quote unquote give people their accounts back? Like who who said? that Twitter's value would decrease quite a bit, costing him lots of money, so he probably wouldn't do it. Hmm. Hmm. Oh, wait, that was me. That was me, and also everyone else has said. So, we'll see if he follows through with this. You know, if I had a better Coke Zero on it to myself, and I will, I'm going to say he's probably not going to do it. Or that he'll somehow worm his way out of this deal, pay the billion dollars, got, I guess, got the press. <sighs> And uh, he'll be done. He'll be done with it. So, yeah, yeah. I, uh, uh boy, there'll be so much, so much, so much angst if he doesn't do it. I don't like. I don't. 
Part of me wants him to buy it and have him not do anything he says and make everyone angry at him. And then part of me doesn't want him to do anything with Twitter and still make everyone be disappointed that they had. They were so close, so close to getting their Twitter accounts back. But no, they'll have to yell into the oblivion for, for many years to come. So I will keep tabs on that to see if the Bond villain gets Twitter. We'll find out. Moving along, friends, to the world of comedy, as I had mentioned in a previous uh, episode, the great Norm MacDonald passed away uh, in the last year or whatnot. Great comedian, fantastic comedian. Uh, shockingly, shockingly that he passed away. He passed away at the age of 61. Um, he had been battling cancer since 2012, uh, which I, a lot of people were not aware of. Were not aware of. Well... Well, he has apparently has one final stand-up special through for the public. Uh, he apparently uh, recorded it himself uh, in his living room in a single one-hour take uh, in 2020. He was uh, about to go through a procedure, and it looked like you know he may not be able to make make he he may not uh, make make it in 2020. Um, but, so he recorded this, uh, had the procedure, he was okay, eventually though he did get sick later and passed away, but he had this hour-long special that he recorded in his living room during the 2020 pandemic, and, uh, his team and his management have decided to release this on Netflix, uh, on May 30th, his last stand-up special, which is, um, I'm, I'm gonna watch it, I mean... Big fan of Norbert Donald. I think he was a brilliant comedian. So I definitely want to see him do his last one. He would he recorded this just in case he did he didn't make it through the procedure. So he would have one last stamp special to share with the world if he died during this procedure. He did, so he put it on the shelf and his team decided to spruce it up and release it uh release it this end of this month, May thirtieth. So he apparently before he passed away, he did watch the special and named it. Uh, it's gonna be called Nothing special. <laughs> so if you're a fan of Norm MacDonald, it's on Netflix. It'll be uh, released on May uh, May 30th. So uh, you should definitely, definitely check it out. Uh, according to his long-term producing, long-time producing partner, Lori Jo Hoekstra, um, she said to THR, it was his intention to have a special to share if something happened. Unfortunately, something did. Uh, so we'll be treated with one more stand-up special from the late, great Norm MacDonald, May 30th. You should check it out. Speaking of checking things out, you don't need to wait to May 30th for this next thing, my friends. But Pound DC, my DJ bestie, DC, he's he is our in-house DJ here at AWSM Radio. And he has three shows every weekend to make your time off from the... Toil and 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 collaborations of work a whole lot easier because relaxing on the weekend. He's going to bring the music to you through AWSM Radio. First up, it's DC Live in Effect every Friday at 9 p.m. He's gonna smash it on the ones and twos, kicking the beach from his South Florida compound. Then on Saturdays, it's DC House Party Saturdays. DC is going to bring to you, my friends, his uh, DJing to the max. Give you the Miami vibe without having to go down uh, and actually experience 
a state where Ron DeSantis is governor. Not a fan. Uh, from the top clubs of the bars, DC will bring the party to you Saturdays at 10 p.m. And finally, 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 once again, DC live in effect Sundays at 10 p.m. So your entire weekend is covered. Friday at 9 p.m., DC live in effect. Saturday at 10 p.m., DC house party Saturdays. And then Sunday at 10 p.m., DC live in effect once again. Once again. So check it out right here on AWSM Radio. Continuing in the entertainment news, did you see the movie Dune last year? Uh, I did. I liked it. I thought it was delightful. I've seen the original Dune as well, way back in the 80s, with uh, Sting and Patrick Stewart, actually. A very young Patrick Stewart. Anyways, the new Dune, new Dune, I liked it. Uh, it was part one, though, because it's a, it's a lot of source material there. You know, condensing it down into a two-and-a-half-hour movie is is tough to do. So they decided to make it into two movies, Dune 1 and Dune Part 2. Well, guess who's joining the cast for Part 2? Wow, it's Christopher Walken. Yeah, this is an impression that I do very poorly, but I don't mind. Well, uh, Christopher Walken is joining Dune Part 2 as Emperor Shaddam IV. Yes, that's right. Emperor Shaddam IV, the Padishah Emperor of the Known Universe. He is going to be the guy in, char in charge. I can't wait for him to say, Wow, the spice must flow. The spice is everything. Wow, Dune. Wow, Atreides, you, you're, you're cutting my spice off. It's terrible. And then he dances. Uh, for those who don't know what Dune is, there's a lot. Uh, briefly... It's a space opera. There's space, there's there's humans, and there's spice, which only grows on one planet. And the spice is what makes space travel possible and also extends your life. And it's basically a narcotic drug, but also used as fuel. It's crazy. The spice must flow. And it only grows in one place. And it's a desert planet called Arrakis, also known as Dune. So, anyways... Uh, it's a beautifully well-done movie. It was nominated for 10 Academy Awards, got, uh, got, uh, six of them, got six of them, and it has quite a cast in it, including Josh Brolin, who is pretty good in that movie as well, and some other folks whose names escape me at the moment. But anyways, Christopher Walken, he's going to be the ruler of House Corino, which is the emperor of the known universe, very fitting for... Christopher Walken, he is amazing, so can't wait for him to be an emperor. And, you know, hopefully he doesn't ham it up, but he's a great actor. He'll be fine. Oh, Christopher Walken, great guy. Next up, folks, Nazis. They're the worst, right? Uh, <laughs> that's quite the segue. Well, uh... Turns out, uh, apparently the SS, notorious, terrible Nazi organization, loved them some brothels. Now, I have not myself uh, patroned one of these, so I don't really know how they work. But apparently they have a storage system there, because this week, 200 million euros, or pounds, no, Euro euros or pounds, over 200 million dollars of Nazi gold was found underneath an old 
SS brothel this week. Yes, $200 million worth of gold. Wow. Wow. Uh, it was found by uh, a Nazi gold hunter. They're still out there. They're still out there searching for Nazi gold. Uh, Roman Fermaniac uh, used geo radar scanning the ground, looking for uh, underneath, uh, lo- looking for the stash underneath a 19th century palace near Warclaw, Poland which had long been rumored to be used as a brothel by Nazi officers during World War II. Uh, gold is obviously a metal, uh, and it has a different density than the, the earth around it, so uh, searching the ground and looking for weird blips on a ground-penetrating radar, you can see if there's something under there that uh, is different from the rest. Uh, so, the uh, treasure hunter uh, had information and a map from an old SS diary from an officer named Von Stein. <laughs> Von Stein. Um, and I uh, was able to locate it after all these years. Uh, it's thought to have been stolen on the orders of Hitler's SS leader, Heinrich Himmler, towards the end of World War II, in order to maintain his grip on Europe. Uh, the treasure hunter said, uh, Metal has a very different density in Earth, and this is shown as a darker color. This deposit was hidden by an SS officer named Von Stein. The SS planned to use it to reestablish agriculture in Ukraine to feed the new Third Reich. So uh, I don't know what the rules are about Nazi gold. Uh, I'm sure this guy gets a finder's fee of, of some sort, but uh, it kind of all depends on how this gold is labeled. I mean, some gold they stole during World War II were from other banks and have, like, little stamps on them. You know, the first bank of Warsaw or, you know, the Vienna Savings and Loans. And so it'll be relatively easy to track that down of where this gold uh, belonged to uh, and whatnot. So, um, you know, if someone had a gold bar stolen from them in the 1930s or 40s, they will track down those descendants and get that money, that gold back to them if they can find them. Um, but in some cases, uh, they may not know where the gold came from. In many cases, uh, they stole jewelry from people that they uh, invaded or sent uh, to various camps. They stole jewelry and all sorts of gold, melted that down and just made big gold blocks of stolen jewelry and whatnot. And in those cases... Well, they don't know where that gold goes. And so I'm sure they will donate it to some sort of, uh, you know, non-profit to put, put that money to good use. But, uh, yeah, uh, there are folks out there still hunting secret, secret gold stolen during World War II. Uh, a lot of stuff was returned after that conflict. There's also a lot of stuff that is still kind of missing. And this just goes to th- show you there is, well, there, there was... $200 million worth of gold hidden somewhere in Poland since 1944, 1945. And do the math. It's been there all that time. And chances are, it would not surprise me. Another 20 or 40 years from now, people will still come across old hidden treasure in Europe stolen during World War II. I mean, this guy, lucky he had a diary and a map to look at, because obviously, if everyone knew where this was, 
they would have found it by now. I'm only guessing the folks that did know about that died shortly thereafter at the end of World War II, except for this von Stein guy whose diary ended up in this treasure hunter. So, whew, boy, that is quite the haul, quite the haul. We now go to space. Well, the moon, well, moon, the moon soil, well, the moon soil that we brought back. So we sent missions to the moon, and we brought back samples of dirt from the moon, lunar soil. Uh, fun fact, a lot of it is missing. Not a lot, but a good amount of lunar soil is missing, because uh, I guess back then NASA had a very poor cataloging, cataloging system, and they would just give away some moon to people. Hey, Chuck, thanks for those Coca-Cola bottles. Here, have a piece of the moon. We're going there twice a week by the 1984. Did not turn out to be that way. But anyways, they have lots of moon soil. And for the first time ever, they said, hey, can we grow stuff there? So they took some lunar soil. And the researchers at the University of Florida uh, published a study in the journal Nature showing that they were successfully able to grow plants in lunar soils from Apollo 11, 12, and Apollo 17. So um, they weren't sure if it would work, but... It did. Now, the University of Florida, they grew a plant called a thalecress. Uh, it is a small flowering plant that they use a lot in laboratory settings. And there is a massive database of past experiments using this plant, growing it in different conditions, so they have a lot of data to compare it to, which is important because, okay, it, it grew, great. How does this compare to other soil? They all have that data. So they grew the plant on 12 different soil samples across uh, Apollo missions, three Apollo missions, and then they grew uh, 16 in different volcanic ash from around the world, which has a very similar, apparently, soil composition to lunar soil. Uh, so while the lunar soil did grow plants, they're not very good at it. It's still pretty bad at growing plants. It's very hard. It doesn't quite have the... Um, um, the the nutrients for plant life. According to the researchers, they discovered that despite germinating at the same rate, that means you know the the seeds germinate and begin to grow, the th the thalecress in the lunar soil took root and grew at a much slower rate than that at the volcanic ash, and, and some of the moon samples were also stunted and discolored, but proving. Plants can grow on the lunar soil, which is much more harsh than, let's say, Mars. So, growing plants, given the right conditions, is possible. Now, obviously, plants need not only just soil, but also, like, water, light, um, carbon dioxide, things like that. But uh, the soil part, obviously, another key part of that process. But uh, it's possible. So, congratulations, University of Florida. You grew some plants in some very expensive dirt which will hopefully let other people in the future grow stuff and dirt elsewhere in the solar system. And that, my friends, is called science. Speaking of science, it is scientifically proven that commutes home from work can be a bit of a dull, a bit of a drag. But the drive home with my pal rocks makes it not so bad at all. You need to listen to the Rock Sessions. It's our drive time show here 
Making sure your commute home is fun. Featuring the hottest music on the charts and some surprises in between. My pal Rocks will make a rock, rock style. She is fantastic. She is as beautiful as she is fantastic at her job during the rock sessions. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday from 5 p.m. to 7 p.m. Right here, my fantastic friends. Here. On AWSM Radio. Moving along. So, my big fear is I'm on a plane and the pilot passes out. And then someone says, is there a pilot on board? Ah, and then there's no one who can do it but me. I'll have to take the controls and someone at air traffic control will have to help me land the plane. Oh, what a nightmare. Well, that happened. Uh, not like a major airline, but like a little... Uh, know, I would say, four or five-seater airplane uh, along the Treasure Coast of Florida. Uh, air traffic control had to help a passenger land a plane. According to recordings that were uh, released, uh, the man, the passenger who has not been identified, at least in this article that I, I have here, uh, said, I've got a serious situation here. My pilot, my pilot has gone incoherent and I have no idea how to fly a plane. Uh, fortunately, 30 minutes later, uh, with the help of several air traffic controllers, uh, around West Palm Beach, Florida, the plane was able to land safely, uh, in an emergency landing. Uh, so he was flying a Cessna Caravan aircraft. Um, he had some familiarity with it, but had, was not a pilot, has no idea what was going on, but fortunately... Uh, he had some experience with aviation, so, like, they could talk him through it. Um, but, uh, apparently, according to the flight logs, uh, around 70 miles before they were supposed to land, the plane began deviating from its steady altitude and speed, started making a hard left, flying parallel to the Florida coast, and then the lift came back to about 9,000 feet. The passenger said, I have no idea where I am. I see the coast of Florida in front of me. I have no idea. And the air controller said, try to hold the wings level and see if you can start descending for me. Push forward the controls. Descend at a very slow rate. Just try following the coast north or south. We are trying to locate you. Well, fortunately, they were able to, uh, they were able to get him, go to an airport. They went to a major airport. They stopped all the planes. Uh, they figured if they could give them the biggest runway they could find, they would have an easier time landing. And, uh, you know, he, uh, he was able to land the plane. Uh, but he didn't know how to turn off the plane. They had to help him find to turn off the plane so the propeller would finally stop. Uh, it was a bumpy landing. It was a bumpy landing, but he was able to do it. They even had video of him landing successfully. Uh, it was quite the emergency. So, whew, happy story. Apparently, this guy has has a pregnant wife at home, too. So, happy story. Uh, I think the pilot just had an episode. I'm not, um, I am not, uh, <laughs> I'm not aware that uh, anything happened to him. But, yeah, I had some sort of medical emergency. Everyone got there alive. Whew. Good thing. Good thing. But, oh, boy. Florida coast, that's a. Good thing he didn't go out to sea. That would have been bad news. Bad news, my friends. Bad news. But he is safe and home. Successful landing. Speaking of flying, we now go to the United Kingdom where the Royal Mail is uh, using drones over the next three years to deliver, make regular deliveries to remote communities. 
uh, along islands and whatnot of the United Kingdom. Uh, these are sort of two-propeller uh, unmanned drones that can carry up to about 100 kilograms of mail, which, if I remember my math from um, elementary school, that's 100 dictionaries. Uh, that was the ratio that was given to me, and I've never bothered to learn anything else. But they can carry 100 kilograms worth of mail and take two return flights uh, a day. Uh, the northest most inhabited island uh, in the, is the Shetland Islands of the United Kingdom. It's a 50-mile flight each way. So instead of having you know someone have to do that themselves, which would be very expensive... This drone is much cheaper. Have a, also has a less uh, carbon uh, carbon footprint. It can get there twice a day. It lands. Someone from the Royal Mail comes, open up the opens up the drone, takes the mail out, closes it up, and then controllers can uh, have it take it off again. And then its autopilot system will fly it back to its home airport. They'll take over again, and then it will land once again. Now these drones aren't like helicopter drones. Uh, where, like, you know, Amazon wants to drop packages off at houses. This is basically running mail from point A to point B uh, across rural, rural areas. Instead of, like, having it sent by plane, take it to a post office, it's a drone plane that takes it from point A to point B as well. Uh, they're hoping to set up over 200... Actually, they hope to have, uh, hope to have over 500 drones uh, in the next three to five years delivering mail to places... Uh, that are difficult to get to, hoping to reduce cost, have more reliable mail service, as well as reduce carbon emissions. Uh, so unlike the United States, uh, the United Kingdom does have a lot of rural communities, a lot of island communities, that it can be difficult to get packages and mail service there. And they feel these drones will help uh, connect these people to the world better. Now, you, can't, you, can't, you just can't get everything through the internet. You know, you can't, you can order stuff on Amazon through the internet. It still needs to get to you. But uh, uh, I'd be interested to see how this works out. I mean, obviously where I live, very connected to the mainland here, but the Amazon drone copters would be more likely here than them sending mail by drone. Um, in fact, mail service here is much slower than it was three years ago. I'll don't get me started. But anyways, drone royal airmail. Look for it. Especially live on an island in the United Kingdom, because that might be how you get your mail soon. So, this very neat, very neat thing that they're doing there. So, hopefully it's very successful and expands. Moving back to entertainment news, George Lopez uh, has a new show coming up, which I would not normally cover new shows, whatnot, but what caught my eye, it's a show called Lopez vs. Lopez, featuring his real-life daughter, uh, Mayan Lopez, Dad and daughter doing a show together, which I think is uh, I think it's pretty neat. I really like it. I like I like that idea. Uh, it's a working class comedy, apparently featuring George Lopez and his real life daughter Maya Lopez, uh, according to an NBC press release. Uh, no premiere date has been uh, set yet, um, but the network has picked up the comedy from Universal Television Television into a series. So it will air on NBC and then on Peacock the next day. Um, it, uh, writer and executive producer Debbie Wolf from One Day at a Time, who is also the uh, showrunner, um, Bruce Helford, uh, serving as executive producer also from The Connors and the George Lopez's previous show, George Lopez. 
Speaking of things to check out, you need to check out your place for sports every Wednesday. First up at 9 p.m., it's To the Rack with Mac. Uh, it's your go-to place for all things basketball. You want to join NBA expert Mac Daddy as he brings you a full hour of high-flying hoops expertise for all things NBA. Turn in, tune into To the Rack with Mac. Wednesday nights at 9 p.m. Then stick around because at 10 p.m. It's What's Going On is our Fox Sports Affiliate Show, providing listeners with over 150 years of combined sports knowledge. Hosted by Nate Brown and his crew, they have been experts of sports in western New York for the past 20 years, and now they're going national, and we have their show right here on AWSM Radio at 10 p.m. So, for your sports needs, it's To the Rack with Mac at 9 p.m., and then what's going on at 10 p.m. right here on AWSM Radio. And finally, this week, some sad news. On Friday, uh, famed actor Fred Ward passed away. 40-year career. Uh, he is one of those guys that you just recognized and whatnot. He was 79 years old. Uh, he made his big screen debut in 1974, Ginger in the Morning. Uh, he also appeared on The Incredible Hulk and Quincy M.E. Uh, he is probably, probably most well-known for uh, a few movies. Uh, the Right Stuff in 1983, Henry in June 1990, as well as the 1990 and 1996 sequel, Tremors, with... Um, uh, with uh, Kevin Bacon. That's right. That's right. Uh, he uh, he was in Tremors, that that old classic. Uh, his last on-screen appearance was in 2015's True Detective as Eddie Velcororo. Um, he is a was a Golden Globe uh, winner, and he's survived by his wife uh, Marie France Ward and his son Django Ward. Uh, according to a uh, press relief, um, the it was Fred Ward's wish that any memorial tribute be made in the form of donations to the Boston's Boston University's Chronic Traumatic in <laughs> Encephalopathy Center. Uh, said his manager Hoffman. Um, uh, please visit trusted.bu.edu or call six one seven three five eight nine five three five. For uh, more information, uh, Fred Ward passing away at the age of 79, a great actor, uh, like 40, year, 40 years, 40 years is quite, quite a career. And, uh, oh, he also had a role in Joe Dirt, which was a, a classic for some folks, in 2001. And then, uh, finally, finally, he was in a very underrated movie, Remo Williams. The Adventure Begins, um, which it, it, that has not aged super well since 1985, but uh, one of my favorite movies growing up. Big fight scene of the Statue of Liberty, which, I mean, it's crazy. Um, uh, but anyways, Fred Ward, great actor, uh, passed away. Rent Tremors this weekend. Check out a classic that's over 30 years old with him and a very young Kevin Bacon. Well, that just about wraps up this week's Sorry Poor's Meet Coat Sebastian Taylor. Thank you so much for joining me here today on AWSM Radio. Uh, remember, you can find me on the Twitter, the Instagram, the Orizzle, 
uh, and many other places, including Cameo, uh, which I'm available for hire, at Colt S. Taylor on all those places. And you can listen to the podcast version of this show at anchor.fm slash Colt S. Taylor. And you can follow up what I'm doing all the time at ColtSebastianTaylor.com. Until next week, my friends, I'm Colt Sebastian Taylor, and I'll see you later.